Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're on the eighth chapter of the Dhammapada called the Sahasavaga. Uh, subtitle is Simple Dhamma is Best. And of course, this is um, a key recurring theme of the Buddha's Dhamma that's uh, throughout, throughout his Dhamma, about keeping his Dhamma pure. And, and also, the, there's always been a lot of emphasis by the Buddha on how simple it is when we cut out all the extraneous nonsense. Remember that the Buddha was teaching to um, teaching to and teaching in uh, similar seekers and similar situations as there are today. Um, in other words, the, the, the people that were coming to the Buddha Sangha, most of them uh, were doing what other young men did during the Buddha's time, which is travel around northern India and southern Nepal and learn from anyone that they possibly could, anything that was spiritual, certainly anyone that had a little bit of a reputation, you would travel and seek them out and learn and go to the next person and the next person, much like I did for many years, always looking for the one true Dhamma, always looking for the secret word and the secret verse, thinking that was going to transform me somehow. Rather, and nobody ever taught me this until I came across what the Buddha taught, rather than practicing something that I was intellectually developing. It was such an important, and the Buddha speaks to that, but that was such an important uh, change in me. Um, I, w I grew up more or less enamored with the way that I think, like most people do. And so I very quickly came to the uh, profound realization that my conclusions were the absolute true ones in the world, no matter how contradictory they were to my own experience. In, the, in other words, how much trouble they might have caused me. Uh, and as I was working through the different modern Buddhist traditions, uh, and I studied uh, with most of the major ones, uh, every one I attached myself more to. And as I built up this attachment and this ongoing conditioned thinking, there was no way, unless I had something that would help me do it, there was no way I was going to be able to abandon all that and bring it to something pure. And so I, I still remember the first time I read this, but other suttas like this. When I started getting an understanding that this, what I had learned before really didn't have much resemblance to what the Buddha taught, that was a tough pill for me to swallow. Because like any human being, something that I put a lot of time and effort in, I create an attachment to it. But it's an, it's an attachment that's almost impossible to recognize because it's so, it's so basic in, in who I think I am. But it was by simply developing a measure of John, the beginnings of concentration, and starting to implement the Eightfold Path as best I could, which wasn't very well, uh, but it was enough to put a crack in that conditioned thinking, to start interrupting my mind from following one conditioned thought to another thought. And again, that crack was very small. But when I read something like this, it helped me focus my Dhamma on what was most important. The Buddha's words, hearing one skillful word of true Dhamma that brings calm, is better than a thousand foolish words. And I was able to relate that to the thousand, and again, in context, the Buddha wasn't telling me that I was a fool or that 
the, the, the teachers that I respected greatly were fools. It was foolish to practice something as a wise Dharma practitioner that wouldn't develop the Dharma. That's what we're talking about. Hearing one skillful word of true Dharma that brings calm is better than a thousand foolish words. Hearing one skillful verse of true Dhamma that brings calm is better than a thousand foolish verses. And again, the qualifying um, acknowledgement is that what I'm learning is actually leading towards calm. It's not creating additional agitation, meaning through grasping at concepts or grasping after additional merit. It brings calm. How does something bring calm? How does anything bring calm? Because we know it. We begin the process of owning our own minds and what the Buddha is teaching, and that's how it brings calm. It's the end of spiritual seek- seeking, and it's the beginning of true knowledge. But it has to be well-focused. Reciting one skillful verse that brings calm is better than reciting a thousand foolish verses. Defeating thousands of people in battle is meaningless to the wise who have defeated ignorance in themselves. The Buddha is saying the biggest battle is inside. A person well restrained remains untouched by God's and diva. What a radical statement the Buddha said then and now, because much of modern much of Buddhism at during the Buddha's time and much of modern Buddhism right now is to become as touched as we possibly can by gods and diva, by speculation, by reaching after and grasping for salvation. 2,600 years ago, the Buddha recognized the foolishness of that and said, don't do it. A person well restrained remains untouched by gods and diva. Respect towards those of perfected minds for just one moment brings calm and understanding. What's the Buddha talking about? It's not so much a pious respect. It's respect born of understanding, born of acknowledgement of what someone else has done, actually developing the Dhamma to the point that they can be a useful teacher. Those are the people that are worthy of respect as opposed to offering trinkets and sacrifices for hundreds of years only brings continued ignorance and suffering. All the bowing and praising, all the merit seeking by visualization only brings continued ignorance and suffering. Respect towards those of perfected minds for just one moment brings more common understanding than tending sacrificial fires for hundreds of years. Uh, Fire worshippers were big during the Buddha's time. There's still some today. And one of the most profound suttas the Buddha ever gave was the fire discourse, the Aditya Pariyaya Sutta, the sutta defining and not self-characteristic. Respect for the excellent teaching of the wise brings true merit. Respect for the true dumb. True merit, meaning something that will actually be a benefit, as opposed to what? What's the opposite of true merit? Fake merit. Something that we're speculating on. Something that somebody offered us as a bauble and we grabbed onto it thinking there was some value there. Offering rings in this world... Offering rings in this world, seeking merit, brings none. Again, the Buddhist is throwing this up in the face of most practitioners, what most practitioners held to be the truth. It took tremendous courage for this man to do this. And yet he did it with calm and peace and consistently for 45 years. Better to live one day well-concentrated and virtuous than to live a hundred years distracted and uncontrolled. Remember, he's talking to 
fellow seekers. Better to live one day well concentrated and wise than to live a hundred years distracted and foolish. Better it is to live one day well-intentioned with right effort than to live a hundred years distracted and lazy. Better to live one day seeing the rise and fall of all phenomena than to live a hundred years never knowing the impermanence of all things. Excuse me. And like Kandana declared when he first heard the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, the Buddha's first discourse on Four Noble Truths, and his mind cleared, it's because he heard that one true understanding. And Kandana's words were, all conditioned things that arise are subject to cessation. Siddhartha Jiji said, bingo, you got it. You understand. You are now Anakandana, meaning Anakandana, the one who understands. He understood impermanence, especially the impermanence of his own mind and his own mental constructs. And in that moment, his mind cleared. That's what we're doing. That's the type of insight we're gaining into the impermanence of all phenomena. But most specifically, the impermanence of the phenomena of our own ideas, especially if they're rooted in ignorance. In fact, only if they're rooted in ignorance. Never knowing the impermanence of all things. Better it is, it, better it is to live one day free of ignorance than to live a hundred years dying in ignorance. And that's the only death that the Buddha talks about, the living death of ignorance. And that's, we talk about this in other classes, but that's the true teaching on rebirth, which the Buddha never gave. He never talked about physical rebirth, but he talked about giving birth to understanding and ending a living death of ignorance. Better it is to live one day knowing the four noble truths than to live a hundred years in ignorance. That's this beautiful chapter from the Dhammapada. Um, let's go online. I, 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 don't, I don't think I could say anything that would add to that. Brian, oh, mm -hmm. someone's just joining us. Let them come back, back on. Who is it that just joined, if I could? Not, not important. I got kicked out. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're back. I didn't kick you out on purpose. It just happened. No, Brian, how are you? Uh, I'm good, John. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, but I'm, I'm going to take double silence tonight. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Laura, good evening. Hi, John. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of rereading. Um, so I also will take some noble silence as well for now. Great. Thank you for joining us tonight. Cliff, how are you tonight? Wonderful, John. Uh, when uh, I was in Thailand, I visited a lot of Buddhist temples. I was amazed that these Buddhas that were just covered in gold leaf yeah. with money taped to every picture and is that I forgot what the lot was, that it, and, and the dollars pasted onto it just covered these Buddhas in money. And uh, of course, uh, the people there were looking to get merit, uh, not to practice Buddhism, but to get the merit so they would have a better life someplace else. And this is something that to me always seemed like not something the Buddha taught. Yeah. And when I practiced Tibetan Buddhism, I was amazed at uh, 
they started off with, uh, oh, these are just icons. But no, we were doing sadhanas and prayers to these spiritual beings to come and help us and to benefit us and to do all of these things. And it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It wasn't what the Buddha seemed to be teaching. Yeah. Uh, I particularly like what you said. Uh, you know, when it comes to ignorance, it's wisdom that displaces it. And, uh, you know, that realization that the impermanence of his own mind and all phenomena. And that, and that is just such great wisdom yeah. because there's nothing to grasp onto when you yeah. see it. And, and, and that, that is just it. You're, you're, you're realizing the ephemeralness of your own thoughts at that point. And everything, everything changes. Thank you, Cliff. I, and I got your emails. I'll get back to you very shortly. Uh, Jen, how are you? I'm glad you made it back. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I got kicked out. Um, I'm going to take noble silence tonight. Thank you, John. It's been great being here. Thank you, Jen. Slav, how are you tonight? I'm doing good, John. Thank you for asking. How about you? Ah, thank you. I'm doing well. Uh, it's very interesting teachers uh, teaching. And, uh, my favorite line I'm going to read is... Uh, Better is to live one day seeing the rise and fall of all phenomena than to live hundred years never know impermanence of all things. So it's uh, very kind of like uh, inspired. And also uh, Cliff kind of bring uh, to my memory when I was in Japan, uh, my hotel was uh, close to a uh, headquarter of Chudashinshu it's Pure Land Buddhism, and it's, don't take me wrong, it's beautiful and beautiful chanting, but it's yeah. always kind of like come in my mind, how uh, Amita Buddha able to save you? Uh, because people doesn't practice anything to, uh, it's very far from vulnerable uh, truth, it's kind of like always uh, striking my head, how is somebody gonna help you? Huh? Yeah, I practiced that myself. For I mean, I thought, and again, I'm I'm, I'm grossly uh, paraphrasing the practice, but I thought, what a cool thing! I just got to keep this chant going, and I'm good to go. And I did that for about uh, maybe 18 minutes, and I realized that wasn't that wasn't for me. But it's and it, and I don't mean to make light of it. it it's the predominant form of Buddhism in the world, and yeah. as as such, as a religion, it certainly needs the respect just just because of the people that practice it. And we acknowledge that's that's just not what we do. Uh, my friend, uh, Theravada Buddhist Mike, Mark, uh, he calls this uh, lazy, lazy Buddhism. You don't have to do yeah. it. <laughs> just, Namo Nitabu, Namo Nitabu. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, again, not to get into the idea of religion, for perhaps it's those people that find, uh, become enamored with that, they might not be doing anything else. So, you know, there it is. It was something that I came across. I thought it was the greatest thing, like I said, and it lasted about 18 minutes, and then I started looking for something else. Yeah. And it's created big confusion because we yeah. so uh, cover up, because we are afraid to unknow stuff, kind of like what's going to happen when we die. We so well, yeah. yeah, and this way it helps. And it, it and for me, even doing something like that reinforced some other strange beliefs that I you know, got caught up in over the years that you hear such as that, that certain sounds have physical and mental and spiritual characteristics and you can get things going and, and free up your chakras and all this stuff. 
fine. But again, it's not something that the Buddha did. They got my focus on 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 external uh, developments rather than recognize what was going on in my mind, which is what I needed, <laughs> especially then. Thank you, Steve. Good evening, Jane. Good evening, John. Uh, I'm feeling very fortunate that um, through your right effort, I have available to me the Buddha's dominance, pure form, so that I can immediately start getting the benefits of the calm in my life. So thank you for all your right effort. Uh, thank you, Jane. You know, I, I still remember that feeling when I understood that this was a human being that taught this and what I was looking at was what he actually taught. I felt the same, how fortunate I am to have come across this and that this man had the courage to do what he did, you know, and, and we're all doing that. You're doing it, Jane, you know, it, 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 it takes some, it takes a lot of true self-responsibility to engage in what we're doing and have the guts to, to carry it through. So thank you. Thank you all. Matt. John, good to see you. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I'm going to take double signs. Thank you. I will as well. I left them speechless tonight. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. John, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Uh, you know, this is just uh, the timing of this is just uh, wonderful uh, following the retreat. And you mentioned something in there, uh, you know, how do we know calm or, you know, this provides us with the experience of truly knowing uh, and you know, wisdom. Uh, supplants ignorance, as Cliff said. That, that's yeah. the experience. That's that's sort of the, you know, the, the Dhamma provides its merits and experience. And, and you know, as we, uh, you know, continue yeah. with it, we, we see the benefits. We see the calm that's changed. So, so it's, it's really nice. To yeah, and, it, and it's not a matter of, of a full frontal attack on ignorance. It's a full frontal attack of developing wisdom. And as wisdom develops, ignorance just falls away. Thank you, Kevin. Hello, Long. Hello, John. Uh, Thank you for this great chapter. Um, yeah, and the title itself for me is is, is the singer. The simple dog. And once I realized, which wasn't like by the way, once I realized that what you were teaching here and what the Buddha was teaching was a simple and coherent uh, that just freed up so much of my mind. The, the, the contradictions and the confusion uh, that just by itself, you know, even if I hadn't gotten any further than that, that by itself was worth the price of the chair. Thank you. I, um, I think you probably approached this kind of how I did that. Uh, when, it, when you started realizing the simple but profound nature of this, that there was a part, there was a part of me that that rejected it be, just because it was so simple and obvious. Mm-hmm. Where, it, where, because it was self-reflective, all that searching that I did for the big answer and for the big secrets, and and, and expecting that I'm going to develop clairvoyance and immortality and the knowledge of past lives and all of that. And it's just this: it took a while for me to let go of what I expected it to be. And I think he went through the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I had already been like, very disappointed with with all of that. Yeah. Because um, I just couldn't get there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, after finally stopping blaming myself for not being yep. able to get there, yep. 
uh, here's a practice. Yeah, you learn to be gentle with yourself. Yeah. And that's so important. Thank you. Right, good evening. Good to be here. Thanks for your teaching. Um, just a couple things that stuck out. Um, just, uh, <clears throat> uh, one, uh, offering trinkets and sacrifices for hundreds of years to bring continuing ignorance and suffering. I guess it's what Ron was just saying. When you were touching on those, it's external things trying to find the answer. Yes. In that, and uh, you give away your power in your hands. Um, and then, uh, and then just at the end, just to sum it all up, we're just focusing on the point of the truth and realizing, you know, breath by breath, like you said, how direct it is and how simple it is and what taking life as life occurs. Yeah. And those are the things we, we've talked about and you've had the direct experience of developing at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, yeah. it's really slowing down and seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, but again, you, you did the work. You know, the Dhamma pointed your way. I, I helped you a little bit. These other teachers have. But I'm just emphasizing, you did the work and you're having the experience of that, the benefit of it. So good for you. Thank you. Dustin, welcome back to our saga. You, should, you don't have to say anything, uh, but I hope you do. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, no, I have something to say. Please. <laughs> I've spent the last 10 years searching every kind of metaphysical healer, channeler, um, going to every retreat. I worked for someone who swore they were channeling their guides. They were whispering, repeating, you know. I stood next to Deepak Chopra and all these hugging saints and all of this stuff. And nobody ever, ever told me anything about stopping thoughts in my head. They would tell me to go in my heart. They would give me these flowery words. And none of it ever made sense. I knew that something was not right, but I couldn't figure it out. And since the retreat and these last two days, my mind is completely clear. And and Dustin, I got to say, you're you're fortunate to have five, six great teachers, but it's the Dhamma that did it because that's all we're teaching. You know, that's all we're doing. And, and, And that was, you had the experience of it. The Buddha uses this word that you might have heard me say it over the weekend. It's ehepasiko, the Pali word. It means come and see. That's what it means. What the Buddha is saying is just what you're experiencing. You can't know it unless you come and see for yourself. And you did, and you had that experience. It's and, not hard to be self-aware of how you feel. and the, You know, like, it really is just kind of natural just to choose what thoughts you can think about and what thoughts to be like that's, that's causing stress. Yes. It's very natural to be like that. Yes, it's the most liberating thing in the world. And you, there's a sutta called the Bhattaka Santana Sutta where the Buddha says, we gain the ability to think what we want to think when we want to think it. And the first time I read it, I said, holy, holy stuff. I can actually do that? Because up until that point, my mind was so uncontrolled that I could, I could, the, the concept of thinking what I wanted to think was way beyond me. And now we get to think what we want to think all the time. And how do we know what we want to think? We don't even have to guess what, what do I want to think. I want my thinking to be framed by this wonderful and gentle eightfold path. And once that's completely integrated, there is no fear. There's no more speculation. There's no more doubt or uncertainty. We take a breath and get on with our life. And it's just that simple. I'm so glad you joined us again tonight. Are there any, uh, any other questions or comments? Okay, we're gonna, we're, we'll continue uh, with this on uh, Saturday with the Dhammapada Structure Study. And just to remind everyone, we have a Thursday afternoon class. I know that it's difficult for some of you, but uh, we're just finishing up 
the Shata Patana Sutta on the Thursday class. Uh, I know we're going to get into some other other suttas. I think there's 20 some odd classes left on that Thursday structure study with John. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, the uh, the retreat talks are all posted too if you want to review them again. So. And if those of you that, that didn't attend the retreat, if you take the time to review it, it's all up there. And, and uh, I, I, it really was a remarkable uh, retreat, a remarkable three days. So. All right, we'll finish as we always do with Meta. So take a moment to become mindful of your breathing, become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath, and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta, on loving kindness from the Karaniya Metta Sutta, as restored by the Amitabhi uh, Monastery. Amaratabhi, I'm saying it wrong, sorry. Uh, Amaravati, in London, England. Getting old. The Buddha's words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small. The seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths. Outwards Sorry. Spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for the wonderful class tonight. Peace. See you all. Bye. Bye. Good night. Have a good night. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.